0: How y'all doing? Good? All right. Hey, happy Thursday. Turn to your neighbor and, and just say, oh, man, I'm excited about tonight. <laughs> so excited about tonight. Um, welcome, welcome, welcome. <laughs> we are so excited that you guys are here. Uh, what a joy to be with you on a Thursday night. Uh, man, I'm excited. I'm excited about this message. In fact, this podium, I, I was like, i um, it's always, like, right in the middle of where I want to be when I talk to you, so it's fine. Okay, um, so, so uh, yeah, I, I mean, has everybody had a decent week? Have you all had a good week? Enjoyed yourself? Awesome, awesome. It feels good outside, does it not? I love summer. I love it. I love the heat. For those of you that are like, boo. Like, I'm guessing you are the kind of people that are like, boo in winter, too. So it's like, <laughs> Mother Nature can't please you, right? And so it's fine. Just soak it in, man. Winter is coming. Winter is coming. You know, so, so, um, Welcome to YA, and welcome to our series two. We titled this series two, Living as a Number Two in a Number One World. And this entire series has been about playing the number two uh, role in a a world that only really values the number one role. And in week one, we talked about the uh, idea that um, when someone else wins, when you are a number two, and someone else wins, that I win when you win in a number two. In week two, we talked about the reality that I was built for this, that God designed you, God made you. He didn't make any mistakes. He made no, uh, there was no issues when he created you. He knew exactly what he was doing when he fashioned you to be a girl or he fashioned you to be a boy. And he uh, knew exactly what he was doing when he gave you your personality. You were built for this. You were built for this. In week three, we talked about um, the I'll be your confidence. That, as a number two, sometimes it's important to be somebody else's confidence. That we need to take other people's callings as seriously, if not more seriously, than our own. And to encourage them and be the lift and be the muscle and be the encouragement when they need it most. And tonight, what I wanted to talk to you about um, is this idea I must decrease. Everybody say, I must decrease. And this series is so vastly important for us, you guys, because here's, here's what this series is doing for us. is It is teaching us how to be um, the type of humility that is hungry, but that is also humble. See, because we are hungry, are we not, to live a life that matters, to live a life of um, importance, to live a life of power and effectiveness. We want to build God's kingdom. We want our life to matter. We are hungry for our life to matter. This is something that binds every single human being in here together with one another is that you were designed by God for your life to matter. We are hungry for our life to matter. And yet, right now in society, we do not know the virtues and we do not know the character that it takes for, um, to sustain that type of a call, the type of call that is powerful. And power for power's sake is self-destructive. If you don't believe me, ask Lucifer. And so we need to know what it means to be hungry for our life to matter and yet to wield it in a way that is completely humble. We need to be hungry and we need to be humble. This is what this series is all about. And Paul, um, one of the greats of the faith, he says this in 1 Corinthians. And he was somebody who was hungry for his life to matter but who also knew how to wield that with humility. And he says this, I do all things for the sake of the gospel, everything. That I may share in its blessings. Do you not know that in the, in, the, in the race that all the runners run, every single Christian is going to run the race, and yet only one will win the prize. Run in such a way as to win the prize. Everyone who competes in the games goes into strict training, and they do so to get a crown that will not last, but we do it. Christian, to get a crown that will last forever. Therefore, do, I do not run as someone running aimlessly, and I do not fight as a boxer beating air. No, I strike a blow to my body that I may make it my slave so that ever after I have preached to others, I myself will not be disqualified. What Paul is saying here is I want my life to matter. I want for every hit that I take for the kingdom to hit it its exact mark. I don't box like a boxer beating air. I don't run aimlessly in my life. I have a point to my life. There is an intention to my life. I am hungry for my life to matter. And yet we know this from Paul's life, that his life was nothing about himself. It was completely about the Lord Jesus. And so he wielded it with humility with such amazing humility. The Bible says this in Matthew five, that the meek shall inherit the earth. Do you know what meek means? It means power under control or power under humility. And God says this about us children. He says, if you will figure out how to live a life that is hungry with intentionality, but is wielded in humility, you will inherit the kingdom. And so I don't know about you, but that's the kind of life I want to live tonight. That's the kind of life I think every single one of us wants to live tonight, to be hungry and to be humble. And I titled tonight, I Must Decrease. And so let's bow our heads and ask God to be here. God, we thank you so much for tonight. God, I thank you for every single person that's in here. And God, I pray um, that by your Holy Spirit, you would just envelop this room, that there would be mountains of life change in here, that God, that your Holy Spirit would be on display, that your goodness, your greatness would be on display, that there would not be a person that walks out unchanged because of your goodness and your greatness. God, we long to know you even more than we know you currently. And everybody said, in Jesus' name, amen. All right, how many of you in here, uh, you feel as though you have a gift from God raise your hands? You have been given a gift. Awesome. We talked a lot about giftings here at Red Rocks Young Adults. We talk a lot about giftings here at Red Rocks, all right? And um, the giftings and the callings of God are irrevocable. We believe that everybody has been given a gift um, in God, by God, in His creation of you, that you have been created for good works in Christ Jesus. We talked about this at Red Conference that we are to fan into flame the giftings of God. And y'all, I have a gift. Um, I do. I have a gift, and it is from God. And that gift is matchmaking. And um, and it is a gift that I, I use, And listen to me, listen to me, there have been many uh, marriages that have happened because of me, okay, here at Young Adults and, and beyond. We will be on retreats, and, and I'll just be, like, looking over everybody. And, and you might know a matchmaker or somebody with the gift of matchmaking because they're either, like, your grandma, you know, or someone who's really, no- like, nosy, you know what I mean? And so um so this is me. This is my gift. And so I'll be at retreat, and, like, a guy will be hanging out, and I'll be like, oh, hey, dude, have you, like, looked at that, that girl over there? Modest is hottest, bro. Like... <laughs> Have you noticed that? Because she's not on Tinder, but girlfriend is on fire. (laughs) You know? She loves the Lord. Uh, Loves God, you know? True story, true story. I worked with a girl here at Red Rocks, and um, she was so awesome. And I remember distinctly talking to her one day, and I was like, yo, Amy, yo, yo, yo. What about that dude Eric? And she was like... (sighs) She's like, but she said it in the nice way, and she's like, oh, no, I mean, I only think of him as a friend, right? And I'm like, which, if you guys don't know, that, like, friend zone, this is what it means. It means that she's into the BSS, which is like, um, the, or the BBS, which is like the bad boy syndrome, you know? Like, she wants the rebels who don't have jobs and who treat her poorly, right? And, um... Right, and so she's like, um, "I'm friend zoning him because he's too nice. Like you poor nice guys. Like girls sometimes don't get it, right?" And so I was like, "Dude, this homeboy. First of all, he loves Jesus. He treats everybody with dignity and respect, and, and he's not a bad-looking dude. Like you should maybe just think about it." And guys, can I just say that they are married now? Like, like I have a gift, right? The gift. And so how many of you are in single? Elliot, like, you single? You need my help. my help tonight, amen, let's talk after, I will help you, amen, got a gift, (laughs) no, but seriously, seriously, I love seeing people come together. I love seeing people, I love seeing two godly people come together because, you guys, this is what we were designed for by our Heavenly Father. Two people who love Jesus to come together and to reflect Christ and his church. That's what we were built for. It's beautiful. There is something sacred. If you have been in a wedding um, of two God-honoring people, there is something sacred about that day. If you've been the best man or you've been the maid of honor, there is something so sacred about those two souls coming, coming together and becoming one Flesh, it's something beautiful. And if you've ever been a best man in here, right? Like, you get, you know, you get, you buy, you know, you spend $200 and you get a suit that you got to return the next day. And, like, and you show up and you got to make sure your suit's pressed and you got to make sure the groom's suit's pressed and that, you know, you've got the rings, right? Because you're in charge of the rings and that he's got, you know, you're like, bro, do you got your vows? Like, unlock. Okay, we're good. You know, like, that's the best man's role. And if you're the maid of honor, like you're making sure that the bride is good to go. And it does not matter if you don't look good in fuchsia, it does not matter if you don't look good in coral, you're wearing coral, because it's her day, right? You're like, I love you, this girl, I look hideous, I love you girl, love you, back you up, right? And you got to make sure that she looks amazing. Her nails look good and her hair looks good. And she, you know, there's tissues for her if she cries and you, her dress doesn't snag on anything. Like, you are there. There is something that is so amazing. And we have the honor of being sometimes uh, people's number two or their best man or their maid of honor in their wedding. There is a glory to being the person that kind of helps two people to come together. And in the Bible, in the book of John 3... Uh, there's a story of a man who was just this. He was a best man, maybe the best man that ever lived. And so, if you have your Bibles, turn to John 3. It says this After, the, um, after this, Jesus and his disciples went into the Ju- Judean countryside, and he remained with them and was baptizing. John was also baptizing at Anna near Salem because the water was plentiful there. I love that they were like, there's lots of water. Let's baptize here. I don't know. Um, <laughs> Like you're going to dunk them in like a little puddle. I don't know. It's just funny. Um, And people were coming and being baptized for John had not been put in prison yet. Now a discussion rose between some of John's disciples and a Jew over purification. And they came to John and they said to him, Rabbi, he who is across the Jordan to whom you bore witness, look, he is baptizing and all are going to him. John answered, a person cannot receive even one thing unless it is given to him from heaven. You yourselves bear bear me witness that I said, I am not the Christ, but I have been sent before him. The one who has the bride is the bridegroom. The friend of the bridegroom who stands and hears him, the best man who stands and hears him rejoices greatly at the bridegroom's voice. Therefore, this joy of mine is now made complete. He must increase, but I must decrease." Out of all the characters in the Bible, and I'm being sincere, he has, John the Baptist has always captured my attention, probably almost nearly as much as Jesus himself. I'm so enamored with his character and with his poise and his intentionality and his ferocity in leadership. John, for those of you who don't know, um, this man, God almost seems to want to point him out more than any other human being besides Jesus himself in Scripture. John was, uh, uh, the moment his feet touched the ground, he was a very special person. He was prophesied about um, by, in the book of Isaiah and in the book of Malachi. In the book of Isaiah, it says that um, a voice cries out in the wilderness, make ready and make straight the way of the Lord. And that's exactly what John did before Jesus came. In the book of Malachi, Jesus is speaking. And he says, there will be a messenger that I will send before me. And he will go before me and he will make ready so that when I come, I may be the Lord of hosts and dwell in my temple. That book of Malachi was the last words that were written by a prophet 400 years go by. And there is no words from any prophets at all until John the Baptist shows up on the scene. He's a powerful man of God. Before his arrival, the way that an angel came and spoke to Mary and said, You are going to give birth to the Son of God. An angel came to his mother, Elizabeth, and said, You are going to give birth to a man who is going to be anointed in a way that is powerful and is going to make a way for the king himself. And it's so rad, you guys, but there's this moment where um, Elizabeth is like washing dishes, or at least that's what I picture her doing, right? She's pregnant, she's washing dishes, and John was the cousin of Jesus, maybe a relative. It says that Elizabeth was a kinswoman of Mary, so they were related in some way, perhaps a second cousin, perhaps a third cousin, but Elizabeth is pregnant a few months ahead of Mary, and she's in there washing dishes, and Mary walks in also pregnant. And the baby, the unborn baby of John, recognizes the deity of the unborn baby of Jesus and leaps in Elizabeth's womb. And in that moment, the Holy Spirit falls on Elizabeth. And he is set apart and anointed from that moment on. Do you remember the moment, church, where Jesus walked in the room and the Holy Spirit fell in your life? And you were never the same Do you remember that moment? Do you remember the moment where he came in and maybe, you know, that season for you after you got saved where you'd be laying on your face in prayer or you'd be in a room in prayer and Jesus would enter the room and his, his spirit would be over you like a cloud or you would be in worship and your heart would explode at the glory of God. I wonder tonight, do you remember what it's like? The very first time Jesus walked in the room and the Holy Spirit fell on you. What was that like for you? Because for John, it changed everything about who he was. The moment the Holy Spirit fell, it altered him and he was changed forever He became extremely focused and laser-intentioned towards the kingdom and towards the purposes of Jesus. And make no mistake, John was set apart in his effectiveness and in his intentionality in his life. There was no one like him. He was completely different. The Bible said that he wore camel's hair and that he wandered the wilderness by himself, that he was a scene, that he took a Nazarite vow, that he was completely different. He was so otherworldly. And just the way that Paul said, when I, in my life, when I take a hit, when I punch, when I shoot an arrow, there is an intentionality and there's a focus and I do not miss. John was the same way. And I believe it's because he knew why he was here. And there's so many people, church, that do not know why they are here. There's so many people, there's some of us in the room that do not know why we are here. There's people all over the world. This is the greatest question of all humanity. Why are we here? This is why Purpose Driven Life is the greatest, one of the greatest selling books of all time because the subtitle is, of his book is, Why in the World Am I Here? And people are like, "This is, I need this. Why am I here? But, but John knew. He knew exactly why he was here. And he was so focused that he became um, almost obsessive, Right? I mean, picture this, picture this. He wore camel's hair. And so I picture his disciples coming up and being like, oh, hey, John. Hey, hey, hey. Um, So so people are starting to talk, man, um, about the camel hair and the leather and stuff. And hey, hey, cotton its like the new rage, bro. I don't know if you ever thought about it. And no? Okay, John is cool. Um, It's fine. You know, or like, oh, John, you know, um, it's awesome that you're, like, eating honey and you're, like, feeding on bugs. But you're starting to scare the kids and... on. (laughs) No, don't want to talk about it? All right, John. Like, John was so focused. I don't think it was that he was trying to be a Jesus freak or he was trying to be out there. He was trying to be different. He was so focused that I honestly think he didn't even think about his hair or about his looks or about what he ate. He was focused. He knew why he was here, and people took note of him. And they said, this is the prophet Some people called him the baptizer, which is where we get the denomination of the Baptist. He is the baptizo. He is the baptizer, the prophet. Jesus called him the greatest man to ever live, born of woman. But listen to me. This is what John called himself. He said, no, 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 no. I am the best man. I am here to make a way and get the bride ready to meet the groom. This is my job. This is my role. And he knew exactly who he was, and that is why his life had so much intentionality. He says this, uh, after Jesus and his disciples went up to the Judean countryside, he remained there and was with them baptizing. John was baptizing, and his disciples come over, and they said to John, Rabbi, he who was across the river, across the Jordan, who you bore witness, look, he is baptizing, and everybody's going to him. John is on the countryside, you need to understand this. John has become a man of, of, of recognition. He has become a man of repute. People are calling him the second coming of Elijah, which is a big deal. That's like some like tech up and comer right now in 2017, and people are like, oh dude, he's the next Steve Jobs, and he's like, you know. <laughs> you know? Or like, oh, it's the next, you know, Mark Zuckerberg, and he's like, yes, him in my millions, right? <laughs> Or it's like, you know, there's some up-and-comer basketball player, and I don't watch basketball, but, you know, like, and people are like, he's the next LeBron James, or he's the next, like, Michael Jordan, you know? And he's like, of course I am. Or, like, maybe there's, like, a preacher who's amazing and who's just ripping it up in America, and they're like, oh, man, he's the next Billy Graham. That's what they're saying about John the Baptist. They're like, he's Elijah come back from heaven. He has recognition. He has clout. And his disciples come to him, and they're like, yo, 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 this is your show, John. This is your deal, John. This is, you're the one with the clout. And everybody's going over there. Aren't pastors like this? Aren't ministries like this? Aren't churches like this in America? Right? We see people get up from the pews and maybe go to another church, and we're like, what are those people doing? <laughs> getting up and going to worship Jesus somewhere else? <laughs> or someone leaves a ministry, and it's like, oh, man. They're getting their, you can see what they're doing. <laughs> Worshiping Jesus in another location. This is what pastors are saying, what ministers are saying, what people are saying, or exactly what John's disciples were saying. Like, hey, those are our followers. And John's like, whoa, 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 whoa. We are the ones that introduce the followers to Jesus. They were never our fathers followers, and we were never the bridegroom. I know my role, and it's the best man. John answered them, and he said this, A person cannot receive even one thing unless it is given to him from heaven. You yourselves bear me witness that I said, I'm not the Christ. I've been sent before him. The one who uh, has uh, the bride, the one who has the followers, is the bridegroom. The friend of the bridegroom who stands and hears him rejoices greatly at the bridegroom's voice. Therefore, this joy of mine is now made complete. He must increase, but I must decrease. He's saying this word: "I am the friend of the bridegroom," or "I am, I am the best man." The Hebrew word for it is a shoshpin, the best man in Hebrew culture. And back then, uh, a Hebrew wedding would last a week. I mean, it was this gigantic celebration, and the bridegroom his only job was to get his home ready for his bride. Sound like heaven, anyone? Okay, <laughs> that's his only job. That's it. And the, the shoshpin, his entire job was to prepare the wedding. It was to order the cake. It was to get the guests all set up and make sure that you got the silverware and the stuff and the food. And make sure that Aunt Shirley is sitting next to someone that she likes. Like, that is your job as the best man. To make sure that that wedding goes off like a firework. I remember the very uh, first time that um, I was a maid of honor. Well, the very first time and the last time. But I was a maid of honor for my sister's wedding. And um, it was such an exciting time because I love my sister. I'm so pumped for her, right? And I remember I showed up the wedding day, and I had this present for her. And I was like, oh, my gosh, like, I'm so excited for you, Chris. And, like, you know, and here's this gift. It's, like, you know, for your honeymoon. And and in walks another bridesmaid. And she's like, Chris, I have a gift for you. And it's, like, a really, like, expensive gift. And I'm like... We get, into, we get into the wedding and like I'm supposed to drive Krista to the venue and we're supposed to hang out. I have like all of these, you know, amazing dreams of what they do. We're going to talk about life and our husbands and like it's going to be awesome, right? And what ends up happening, though, is that this girl kind of like takes over and ends up taking her to the venue. And I'm like, right? Like I'm like starting to lose it. It comes time to put on Krista's dress. And I remember we were in the room and it's like, okay, and like they're getting the shoes and stuff. And And I, like, pick up her dress, and this girl, I kid you not, she grabs the dress for me, and she's, like, and, like, starts to put it on Kristen, and I'm, like, this is my moment! (laughs) I mean, not really, but this is how it was on the inside, right? And she's, like, Jesse, get the shoes, and I was, like, get the shoes, right? I go to put on John's boutonniere. This is a true story. I'm, like, all right, like, I'm having, this is just a rough day for me. And, I'm, you know, I put on the boutonniere, and she's, I can't get it on. I'm, like, poking him in the chest. It's just a bad scene. And, and, And he's, like, ow. And this girl walks over and she's like, Jesse, I'll do it. And I'm like, I look at John and I'm like, I'm going to lose it. (laughs) Right? And he's like, and he like does the whole thing where he's like, yes. And I'm like, stop being so emotional, John. And he's like, (laughs) and he's like, and he's like, this is not your day. It's not your day. doesn't matter if it sucks. doesn't matter if you're mad. It's her day. Don't hurt it. Don't screw it up. Don't ruin it. It's her day. You are there to make sure this thing goes off like a firework. And John looks at his disciples, and he's like, you are so busy being jealous. You are so busy worrying about where the followers are going or if they're even your followers. And and your only job, my only job, my joy has been made complete because my job was to make ready the bride and to present her to the groom. That's my role. And then get out of the way because it's not my day. It's his day. I just get to be the number two. He must increase and I must decrease. And listen to me. If you are in here and you are saved by the grace of God, this is your role. This is your role that you make ready the way for Jesus. That you take people and you prepare people to meet with Jesus. And then you get out of the way. And there are a couple things tonight, just a couple things that I think that God wants to impart to us tonight. About his greatness, about his goodness. And what he wants us to learn about living here on this earth for the time that we do. And the first thing is this, is that there is a greatness in humility. That there is a greatness in humility. John understood this because he witnessed it in Jesus. John is preparing the way for Jesus, and he's baptizing people, and he starts getting, you know, into a fight with some Sadducees and some Pharisees who were the law keepers of the day. And they're kind of taking him to task about some things, and he calls them, like, you know, like a bunch of vipers, and he's like, you brood of vipers, you know, and they're like, ow, right? (laughs) And then he says, look, he goes, I baptize by water. But there is a man that is coming that is going to baptize by the Holy Spirit and by fire. And he says, I'm not even worthy to tie his shoes. He is so great. He is so good. He is so beyond any leader that you've ever experienced, beyond the best father that you've ever met. He is incomparable. And up walks Jesus, and he says this. Then Jesus came from Galilee to the Jordan, where where John is having this conversation, to be baptized by John. Okay, are you kidding me? John is just getting done saying, I'm not worthy to tie his shoes. And John, or Jesus walks up and he says, hey, John, um, can you baptize me? And he's like, no, bro, <laughs> no. I need to be baptized by you. Like, I need to be saved by you. Like, and, and Jesus says, John, John, this is how it's supposed to be. I'm being obedient to my Father. This is to fulfill all righteousness. I need you to baptize me. And I picture John just being like, okay, like, this is crazy, but all right, man. Like, And he walks out into the water with Jesus. And I've pictured this in my mind's eye and I've wept over it. It should shock us, church. He walks out and wades out into the water with Jesus. And I picture him putting one hand behind Jesus' back and then one hand over top of his arms. And then Jesus kind of allowing the full weight of his body to fall into John's arms. And Jesus dips him under the water and back up. And in this moment, we are witnessing something that is so humble, something that is so close, that the God of the universe, who knew no sin, became a baby and was raised by a human mom, And let a sinful man baptize him in order to fulfill all righteousness. There is no one like our Jesus. There is no one like our God. There is no one that comes this close. There is no one that is this humble. His humility is unmatched and unparalleled. He was the king of kings and the Lord of lords, and yet he regarded equality with God as something not to be grasped, but he let it go, and he became human. He was raised by a very young and probably um, very new mom. He humbled himself to the point of allowing himself to be baptized by a sinner. He is unmatched in his humility, and John saw it all. And so his disciples are coming to him, and they're like, John, John, John. Disciples are going over there, and they're being baptized by Jesus. And John's like, bro, I know a God who is more humble than any any being I could have ever possibly imagined, and so I will do in likeness as he does. I will humble myself. Are you kidding me? I'm going to do the exact same thing. And listen to me, Christians. This is our role. That we may decrease, that he may be magnified. That all of our power, all of our followership may turn into decrease, that it may turn into increase for Jesus. See, don't buy into um, maybe the temptation that you need to increase in influence for Jesus to increase in influence. That's not what John said. He said, I must decrease that you must increase. I must decrease that Jesus must increase. This is uh, the way that John the Baptist works, and this is how I think that it could work in today's society if we worked hard enough at it. Like if I were to be truly like John the Baptist, this is kind of what my Instagram account would look like right now. Like if I was Jess the Baptist, <laughs> right, I would have no followers because all I did was talk about The God that saves me, the God that I know, the God that I meet with on Thursday nights and the God that I meet with in my bedroom, the God that comes so close that he he overwhelms me, the God that saved me, the God that's with me, the God that's for me. And people are like, oh, this girl's cool, but I'm going to go follow Jesus. And then Jesus would have this Instagram account where every single human being... (laughs) (laughs) That's all Charlotte. Every single human being on earth, 7.3 billion people. God, God says this. He says, I desire all people that none should perish, but that all should come to saving knowledge of our Lord Jesus Christ, that every single one of them would become his follower. Listen to me. Jesus, because of his humility... Because of his humility, the Bible says that he is now given a name that is above every single name, that there is no one like him, and that at some point every single knee... Past, present, and future will bow to his name. We don't need to be superstars. Chris Kane says this. Christianity doesn't need another superstar. It already had its superstar. He came to a thousand years ago. His name is Jesus. That's not our role. We are not the bridegroom. We're the best man. It's not our show. But we get the privilege of power, introducing someone to Jesus. And getting out of the way. He must increase and we must decrease. And so, church, if you are in here tonight and you are talented, the higher your talent, the more your talent, the more of the need for decrease. The bigger your role, the greater your role, the more your need for decrease. The greater your opportunity right now, the greater your need for decrease. The more that people are starting to look to you and are starting to praise you, the more your need for decrease. There is a greatness, church, in coming low. And John understood it. Do we? And the second thing is this. The supremacy of salvation. The supremacy of salvation. For John, the spirit fell on him as a babe. And he was never the same. He was focused and poised and intentional at every turn of his life. Do you remember, church, when you met Jesus for the first time? I mean, do you remember where you were when he found you? Maybe you were knee-deep in depravity. You were tasting everything that the world had to offer, and yet you still felt empty Maybe for you, you were so neck deep in sin. You were so lost. You were so hopeless. You felt so abandoned. And he showed up and his spirit fell, and you were never the same. For me, I was 16 years old and I was dying in my own perfectionism. I was absolutely drowning in it when Jesus found me. On the outside, I had everything going for me, and on the inside, I was hanging on by a thread. I had an eating disorder. I was dying on the inside when he found me. And he saved me from me. This week, I talked to my friend Will, who works on staff here. And I was like, dude, tell me about your life before Jesus. And he said, oh my gosh, like it was hopeless. I had no hope. I would wake up every day, and I would hope that in the night, I passed away. I had resigned to the fact that my life was drugs and addiction And that this was going to be my life until the day I died. I thought about suicide all of the time, but I was too scared to try it. I was lost. And by God's grace, he ended up getting arrested and was in a jail cell when Jesus came. And he said, are you done, Will, with you? And Will said, I'm so done. I'm so done with me. He's like, then follow me. I'll be your number one and I'll be your hope. And he said in that moment, he was filled with hope and ambition for the first time in his life, peace. God saved us from ourselves. God saved us from a, a hell that's here on earth. God saved us from a hell that awaits us in eternity. And this is not popular to talk about in uh, modern day Christianity, but let me just say this. Paul puts it this way, but he says, why would you reject so great a salvation? Why would you reject it? We think about life in 80 years. Listen to me. There is something that is beyond that that lasts forever. Do you know where you're going tonight? It is important. And I'm not saying this in a way of condemnation. I am saying this in a way of enlightenment. Jesus said, or Paul said, how could we reject so great a salvation? He didn't just save me from me. He didn't just give me heaven forever where I get to commune with him. And listen to me. I taste and see that the Lord is good. I can't wait to spend eternity with him. But listen to me. He also sent his Holy Spirit. He gave us a grace and unmerited favor that everything that belongs to Jesus now belongs to me. You know what grace is? It's me not getting anything that I do deserve and us getting everything that we do not deserve. This is what we have in Christ Jesus. You are now in Christ and Christ is in you. You are not just saved, but you are now risen with Christ. You are seated at the right hand of Christ. Every property, every spiritual blessing in the heavenly realms belongs to you. you have the gifts of the Holy Spirit you are gifted with peace and patience and kindness and gentleness and listen to me there is an entire world that does not know does not know they wake up every day and they work a job they hate making money for things they do not like or do not need to live a life that they wish they were not living and they don't know this God And John was so focused. He said, this is my life. This is my life. I have one focus. I have one goal. I have one intentionality. And it is to take someone's hand and just get them ready and to say, oh, there's somebody I want you to meet. I want you to meet the man that's been waiting forever for you, your bridegroom. And then get out of the way. If everybody in here would stand. There is so much power in this room. There is so much gifting in this room. There is so much goodness in this room and God just wants you to know that tonight his goodness is going to release in you in a new way. That his greatness is going to break chains in you in a new way and I'm believing tonight that there is just two different questions I'm supposed to ask and to ask them boldly in light of what we talked about and in light of the righteousness of God, the goodness of God and the greatness of salvation. And the first thing is that. If you do not know Jesus tonight, and you do not know his saving grace, let me, let me explain to you. He's better than you could hope. He loves you so deeply. He went to heaven to prepare a room just for you. He came to earth for you. He would have done it if it was just you. And tonight, if you are in here, I'm not going to have you raise your hand, but if you are in here and you want to receive Jesus for the very first time, would you just come down to the front, and I would love to pray for you. Amen. Amen. It's all right. Don't be scared. I'm going to wait just a little bit. I have a second question, and it's this. I was hoping tonight that some people who were unafraid of receiving the free gifts of the gospel of grace would come down front. There's no shame. The Bible says if you are unashamed of Jesus here on earth, he will be unashamed of you in heaven. And so just come. He wants to heal you. It's an act of humility and it's an act of saying I need help. It's not just raising your hand it's stepping forward and offering yourself and so if that's you in here tonight I want to say do it the second thing I want to say is this if you are in here tonight and you want to be Jesus's number two and you want to use the power of your life and the effectiveness of your life and the blessing on your life to bring people to know him and then get out of the way I was kind of hoping there'd be people here for you to pray for, but would you come forward and just say, God, use me? Use me. Would you come forward and I'll pray for us? God, thank you so much for tonight. I thank you for every single person in here. God, I thank you for the sweet, sweet souls in here that you love so deeply. And God, I pray tonight that we would know that you are so great and you are so good and incomparable and kind and that every single person in here would know, God, that there is a greatness in humility, that there is a goodness in your hand. And God, tonight, that I'm just believing that you impart um, a new goodness upon these people, that you show them a greatness in their salvation. God, that tonight, if their spirit is not leaping within them, at, at the gift of Jesus, God, that you would just um, you would just wash over them, God. I thank you so much. And tonight, if there is anybody in here who has not received Jesus as their Lord and Savior, and God, they would like to, I just pray that tonight they would reach over to a neighbor and just say, pray for me, friend. Pray for me. God, I thank you so much for this church. I pray, God, that I can be a vessel and that we can be a vessel in your city. God, may we be um, great number twos for you, our beautiful bridegroom, and it's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Let's worship.